Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm Homer Hargrove. Um, so, like I said, we, we did miss last week, and I had the message prepared and everything. And we're going to just pick up where we left off in, uh, in ending our series in Scary Truths. I know that it's not going to feel as applicable, okay? We were originally going to have this message on Halloween. So it's like going to be the perfect end to Scary Truths. But I already had the message and the slides, you know, I didn't, and so I didn't want to recreate the... Uh, it was intended for Scary Truths. And so I didn't want to make it seem like it wasn't by creating a whole new series where it would just try to fit it in. It's going to just finish off. Is that cool with you guys? We're going to just imagine that that's still a little... People still have Halloween decorations up, right? Not everyone's taking them down. And so we're going to just finish off on scary truths. And so um, today's message, it's the last message on scary truths, part five, and it's titled, In the End. See how this would have been perfect? <laughs> in the end. In the end. And... We're, gonna, we're really going to be talking in, uh, around the focal point of the end times, judgment day. And I want to uh, start by, as a preface, uh, I want to say that this message was specifically, um, is really specifically to the scary truths that we're talking about. We don't always talk about, we, we don't have a, a, a turn or burn theme at Gravetop Church. We don't typically say get, uh, get sanctified or chicken fried. We don't say stuff like that, um, but we do think it's important to talk about truths of the Bible, even when it seems scary to talk about. And I believe that after today, we're not going to be intimidated by Judgment Day, but that we're going to feel more edified as we talk about it. Um, we're going to uh, center around some chapters in the book of Revelation. And even as I was preparing this message, uh, anytime I say that I'm going to read out of Revelation, um, anyone that I tell that to is usually saying like, sure <laughs> that's kind of a that's kind of an intimidating book I mean do you really want to do you think people need to hear that right now and the very first chapter of Revelation says blessed is every person that reads this book blessed is every person that reads this book and the reason that the book of Revelation can seem um, confusing or intimidating is typically because we don't always understand what we're reading it's a very uh, it's apocalyptic book that is, which is a prophetic book about the end times. And every other prophetic book in scripture is usually talking about Israel and one or two other countries. And so it's pretty uh, easy. It's still, it can still be tricky to follow, but you, you know what it's talking about. The book of Revelation is actually talking about the whole world. So you're talking about multiple different countries, multiple different political influences, multiple different things happening all at once over the course of, uh, at, at some parts, even thousands of years. And so it's, it can be very difficult to keep track of like, wait, so what happens first? I mean, there's so much happening and that's why it can feel confusing because it's, again, not just one country or two, it's talking about the whole world and it's not talking about within a hundred years. It's talking about thousands of years, different things happening. Y'all feel me? And so we're going we're gonna to skip a lot of the juicy stuff and get to the meat 
and bones, and we're going to talk about Judgment Day. So we're talking about we're not going to talk about all of the 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 horses and the bulls of wrath and the, uh, some some crazy stuff. We're going to go straight to Judgment Day, and our quote today is: No matter what, our actions in this life will determine our eternity. No matter what, our actions in this life will determine our eternity. Let me read this scripture in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 13. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to their deeds. So what, what is interesting about this scene is that it says everyone was judged. And the reason I wanted to share this scripture is because within our Christian theology, um, there's, there's a lot of different takeaways that we can get from our faith. Uh, for example, um, because of John 3.16, it says that Jesus came into the world to save the world, not to judge the world. And so we as Christians, we believe that we are not, uh, not going to be passed judgment on, but that we are going to be received mercy from Christ because of, we are only saved by grace in him. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so there's a theology of two different kinds of judgments. One among believers is that we are judged according to our good works, that we are given mercy for our sins when we, when we trust in Jesus, but that our good works are, have a judgment to them of what we did in this life. And we, we look at the different parables of like the talents where the king judged each person according to what they did with the, with the money that they were given. And they were rewarded with according to what they had done. Y'all follow me? Now the other kind of judgment is the one that we typically are raised in church. And that's like, we're all going to hell. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's going to hell. Everyone's being judged. And it's just like a very traumatic experience. And, and uh, whatever side of the spectrum that is, we, we sometimes use our grace, God's grace, as kind of a almost like a side, a, 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 um, a side trail to go around for us being responsible or accountable to what we do in this world. Y'all feel me? How many of y'all have met some really mean, nasty Christians? Y'all feel what I'm saying? I feel like uh, the longer, the, as long as I've been alive, I'm not saying I've been along very, alive very long, but I've met nicer people in the world than I have in church. I've met a lot of mean, crummy people in church, but in the world, I, I feel like I've been able to easily find people that will uh, be nice to me. And, and that's why we have this undertone, a lot of people, the world has this undertone that the church can be very critical, very judgy. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I believe that part of that is because we have thrown off the judgment for our sins. We are now innocent. We, we do not have to be accountable to the things that we have done wrong. And so it gives a, a sense of righteousness. We, we are right with God. But we don't finish it 
to where we do not finish the part where we are still accountable for the good that we do. I mean, G- Jesus has a lot, of, uh, a lot of things that he helps to guide us in doing good works to others. And he sums it up in a simple statement of love your neighbor as yourself. And we, we often forget that part of Scripture. And what I'm projecting is that whether or not we are judged for sins or our good works, it, it's really uh, those questions we can kind of throw off. It's more so about everyone. It says that everyone will be judged in some way. And I, I think that's a sobering thing to receive and to understand. And it should be grasped because if we're all going to be judged in some way by what we do on here on earth, it tells us that it will affect what our eternal life will be like. Did you know in the first couple chapters of Revelation, when Jesus is talking to the churches, there's that one point where he's, he tells a certain church that you have not done the good works that you used to do at first. Uh, go back to them, and buy, I urge you, you think you are rich, but you are poor. Buy from me, uh, buy from me eye balm so that you will be able to see. Buy from me clothes so that you won't be naked. And he's talking about in heaven. And so he's almost like projecting this idea that like, yes, we, can, we, we are entering into heaven by God's grace, but what our circumstances will be like while we're there. I mean, it's not going to just be um, a time where we just like have a worship service nonstop and we never do anything. As you know, great and boring as that sounds at the same time, heaven is going to be much more complex than that. And, and Jesus is constantly teaching us that what we do here will determine what our eternity will be like. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And, and so all that to say, we should simply do our best and forget the rest. We should do our best and forget the rest. Don't get caught up in thinking, am I doing enough right now to, to be able to make it in heaven? <laughs> I think even being uh, naked and poor in heaven will be better than being rich and famous here on earth. And so don't get me wrong, but... Take hold of the opportunities that are in front of you now. Resist sin the best that you can, and don't hesitate to grow. Uh, don't hesitate or grow tired of doing good in this world. I think one, one thing that happens to us as Christians is that it's it's when we're initially Christian, we become believers. It's very it, it's very refreshing. It's new. It, we really feel revitalized in our lives and our souls. And it's not after a couple months that it dies down, but it's after a couple years that you, you start to almost lose focus. We become desensitized to the love that we once had, to the passion that we had at first. So we're at the beginning of our faith. We see a, a, a homeless person on the street like, oh, let me see if I have any change. And after a couple of years, like, oh, I tied, that's enough. <laughs> like we, we lose our sensitivity to what God wants us to do, to doing simple good to others. And God has called us to be the salt and light in the world. And finishing on this point, that simple phrase, when Jesus says, be the salt and light of the world, be the salt and light of the world, for a long time I wondered, what does that mean? What does it mean to be salty? <laughs> and, and I've heard a lot of different messages talk about what it is to be salt and most of them pivot around the idea of oh that that's to be holy you got to be holy that's what it is to be salt salt and light in the world 
And it doesn't really make sense to me because a light, I would imagine, to be holy and righteous. Like those are good, like a light in the darkness. But salt, that doesn't really make sense to me. What I realized that, especially in these times, did you know that uh, in biblical times, it was incredibly expensive to have spices. But everyone knows that most food tastes better when you add salt to it, right? And we as Christians are called to be salt in the world. So we are called to make situations better in the world. It, by any means, by whatever that looks like, when we bring salt, it just makes it taste better. If it's through sorrow someone is going through, we're able to make it better with the love of God. If it's joy that someone's going through, we're able to make it better with the love of God. We're able to put that salt on it that makes it just that much more enjoyable or bearable. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So that's Judgment Day. Let's do our best and forget the rest. And let's, let's know that no matter what, it's not that we have to, to walk into Judgment Day scared and timid, but that what we do in this world matters. Y'all feel me? Let's go into the next point. This one is a lot, a lot calmer, and it is the lake of fire. <laughs> the lake of fire. Y'all are like, why the hell did I come here today? <laughs> the lake of fire. Let me say this for our quote. God hates death. God hates death. Let me read this verse in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 through 15. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, many people have this perspective of God being a partner with death. Many people have a perspective that God is this partner with death. Even in attempt to offer solace at funerals, what do people often say? They say things like, well, God had a plan for this. You know, everything happens for a reason. You know, maybe their death is actually to make something, you know, it's for a greater purpose. We don't know. We can't see. And that's great and all. That's really sweet. But it gives this impression that God is a partner with death. That God uses death like his right hand. And even though God does pronounce extreme judgment in Scripture, in no way does it give this, this symbolism or this, this portrayal that he is locked arms and hand in hand with death. Because Jesus alone sits on the throne as partner to no one. We, he calls us friends even though we're his servants. He's partnered to no one. And even at that, he plans to destroy death in the lake of fire. Think about that for a moment. If he was partnered with death, he would not destroy it in the lake of fire. It gives us this analogy that almost like this personification to death in, in Hades, the realm of the dead, and that they're both going to be sent to the lake of fire, that they're both going to be destroyed forever. If he was partnered with anything like that, he would not viciously destroy it in such a way. But what we see is that with this understanding, understanding of God's hatred of death, something that he never intended for mankind. Remember the Garden of Eden, death, there was no death. But the minute that Adam and Eve took from the fruit, took from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God said, death will enter into this world. Sin created death. So if death is created by sin, 
sin is something abominable to God, right? God does not like sin. Then death is only a product of something evil that was never intended for mankind in the first place. And if God's mission is to restore this close relationship like that of garden in the Garden of Eden, where God walked with Adam and Eve, it shows this, this very powerful symbol of how in order to do that, he has to destroy death, which is something that he's long awaited to do. I think it's so important for us to grasp that this hatred of, of death is God's heart because this we should understand that Jesus says that he is the life. Jesus says that he is the life, which is the opposite of death. Everything around God, everything around Jesus is the opposite of death, is the opposite of evil. The resurrection, it was him defeating death. And so we have to get rid of this idea. I think that even this idea that God is a partner of death is why people have such a hard time reading the book of Revelation. Because we feel like he's just waiting to slam dunk us to hell. But if we, under, if we read it with the understanding that God hates death, and that everything happening in that book is actually him not fighting against mankind, him fighting against death, it gives a much more passionate story about what he's willing to do for his people, for those who call on his name, for those who lock arms with life, those who lock arms with Jesus. And when we choose Jesus, we're choosing life. And when we reject him, we are choosing death. So it gives much more portrayal and imagery to when it talks about those who are written in the book of life, those who have partnered with life and rather than death. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And, and so when we, when we reject Jesus, who is life, we become partners of death spiritually. All, all sin leads to death. And so all practice of that leads to death. And so whenever we reject Jesus, we are rejecting life and pursuing death. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So let's go into our, our, last, our last point. Now we, we understand the lake of fire. Did that give a kind of a different tone than y'all were expecting? Y'all thought I was going to say everyone's going to hell? Yeah, I switched it up on y'all. <laughs> now let's talk about our last point, which is defeating devils. Defeating devils. There is more power in praising Jesus than cursing the devil. There is more power in praising Jesus than cursing the devil. Let me read you all a couple of verses. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. Another verse in 1 John 4, 4, it says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. What these verses are telling us is that each believer carries the name of Jesus. Each believer carries the name of Jesus. Thus, they carry the authority of Jesus. If you carry the name of Jesus, you carry the authority of Jesus. We each have a greater power than that which is in the world living inside of us. And so these verses are telling us that we can boldly command for spirits to stop and leave. 
And I want us to understand that every time Jesus or the disciples would cast out demons in, in Scripture, it, they did not ask God to cast out the demon, but that they commanded something to happen. It's something very different. And I want us to, to really understand this point because it will change the way that we pray. We typically pray, like say we're praying for someone to be healed. We pray, God, I pray that you heal them and cause everything to just realign and that you just do greater work. And we like try to make it real pretty. We, but when Jesus would command a healing to be done, he'd say, be healed. It wasn't even pretty. It didn't even sound cool. It's just he would command something to happen. And I think it's important for us to grasp this, that when he has given us authority, we often don't believe it. Because we're so fixated on our iniquities. We're so fixated our, our, on our insecurities that we think that we're not good enough for, for a prayer to be answered. We're not good enough to be able to command a miracle to happen. But Scripture is telling us that we have the authority to command, to command in it for it to happen. And I've shared this story before, but just for the sake of, say, of showing how simple this is, I remember going to, uh, when I was in a ministry internship, I was like 18, so a teenager, and there was this, uh, this um, uh, student retreat for middle school and high school, and this, this church I was a part of was uh, like, they were pretty hardcore, they like, had a deliverance session for these kids, and uh, there's, some, there's some good things that, about this church, and some things that like, I don't think I would ever practice that again. But one thing that, that was good was that uh, a, high, uh, a high importance or reverence in spirituality. In this deliverance session, what they wanted to happen was they would put like literally sins on the screen and say, if, you're, if you need deliverance from this sin, come up to the altar and someone's going to pray for you. And it was like really intense. And it's been known at that church that like demons would come out, like they would manifest spiritually. And, and like at the time... I had just, I had a really bad experience with some like demonic Ooga Booga stuff. So I hated the devil. I still do, but I had a lot, really raw passion. I was like, I just want to like beat the devil up. And so I was ready to, to cast out a demon and I don't even know what that looked like. And so I went up to the altar and I was ready to praise for whatever boy would come up there. And this boy came up and he was just crying his eyes out. I was like, oh, he's got it bad. <laughs> and it was for like addictions. I was like, probably on some crazy stuff. Doesn't even know what to do with himself. And I was 18, so I put my hand on him, tried to act like I was older than I was. I was like, what is it, son? <laughs> what is it? And he's just crying, could barely make the words out. I, I, I was like, out with it, boy. <laughs> what is it? addicted to video games. I was like, oh my gosh, that's not an addiction. I got that. <laughs> what are you talking about? Every boy has that. You don't need to worry about that. And so I didn't even take it serious anymore. I was like, this kid's just emotional. And I just started praying for him. I said, I command anything that's not of God to come out right now. Deliver him in Jesus' name. And this boy started flipping out and started shaking and convulsing. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Chill out, what are you doing? He, he's like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh man, he's actually got something. Like, and he like fell down on the ground, like composed, like, someone help. <laughs> I just started praying over, like, come out of him, <laughs> get out. And the the reason I share that story is because I wasn't even taking it serious. But it was the difference between commanding something to happen 
and, and begging and pleading for God to do something. Y'all, y'all feel what I'm saying? It, it's a difference when you, when you take that kind of authority as you speak and command things to happen rather than, than beg and plead. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask God uh, firsthand. We can communicate God. We don't have to overcomplicate our prayers. But there's times where we, we can command things to happen and God has called us to. Think of it like this. If you leave your kid in charge of the home, if you have a, a kid that's able to be home alone, okay? <laughs> leave Joy uh, three years old home alone. All right, watch after your siblings. Um, say you leave them home alone and you already told them that what to do, that they could cook for themselves, they could do this, they could do that. They know what to do. And imagine they call you over and over and say, am I allowed to have hot dogs? Yes, so you, can, you can just do it yourself. They call you back. Should I take a shower right now? Yes, you can do whatever. You, you, have, you have complete authority over their home. We're gone. You can take care of it. Okay. Can I watch TV? Like, imagine just asking you to do something when you already told them that they could do it themselves. That is a simple portrayal of what it's like for Jesus who left us here, home alone, on earth, until he came back. And he's given us the authority to manage our home the best we can until he comes back. And so you don't have to keep calling him for simple things when you have the authority to do it. Y'all feel that? Yes. So let me say another verse. Let's go to the other side of this. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. It, it, another version says that they tremble just at the, at the knowing of God. That demons tremble at knowing God. It go, uh, another verse in Revelation, it says this, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This is when Jesus comes back to the earth. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head, on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he was, has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that's Jesus' tattoo. And, and let's go down to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and then it says this part. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I wanted to share this last verse to give, one, a depiction of how glorious Jesus is. This is not the white European thin-lipped Jesus that, that wouldn't hurt a fly. I mean, he comes with a rod of iron, flames of fire in his eyes. I mean, he is a glorious sight. All powerful coming back to this world. And it says that, the armies of heaven follow him. Let me just take a side note to, to say, 
We do not need to fixate on angelic beings. We're able to fixate on Jesus alone. So many times we get, especially in our, our culture, we get fixated on the idea of angels and a guardian angel and this and that. It says that those magnificent beings follow Jesus, the most glorious being. So why would we take second best when we have the glorious Jesus in front leading the path? And I also wanted to share this because it says that he simply threw the devil into hell. I mean, he, he just defeated him like that. It was, it was so simple. And I want us to grasp that this Jesus, that, that just infinite power, King of Kings, rules the world in one day and, and defeats all evil in a moment, that he has given us authority. That he has said, demons will tremble when you speak to them because you have my name. Just as they tremble at the mention of God, when we speak God's word, when, when we give commands out of, out of his grace to us after being covered in his blood, we carry that same trembling in the world. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So even though we have this power to command, we also have an immediate access to this glorious presence of Jesus, the one whom these devils tremble. And what that means is the, the Bible says that where two or three are gather, gathered in the midst, surely he's there with them. His Holy Spirit is there. His presence is there. When we worship, when we praise, we activate the Holy Spirit's presence around us. It, it doesn't matter what we're going through, and it doesn't even matter how insecure we are. It doesn't matter if we feel like we're, we're too big of sinners to to call for God's presence right now. You are labeled with Christ's name on your heart. When you, when you trust in Jesus, you're taking on that name. Christian, it means, it means little Christ. We are taking on his name. So it doesn't matter how we feel when we worship, when we praise. It activates the Holy Spirit's presence around you. And it will cause even demons to flee. There's been so many times where I've felt like burdened or oppressed and just felt like I don't even know how to articulate those feelings. You know what I'm saying? You just feel like something's not right. And I could, I could just go into a moment of worship and it would literally feel like the atmosphere in the room changed. And, and it, even though I, nothing physically changed, I felt all of the spiritual change within myself. Even if you're having like some ooga booga stuff, like real demonic activity, you could literally have worship playing and it will expel evil, evil around you. It will cause goodness to fill that room. And we have, to, we have to understand that the presence of God is so powerful that it can supernaturally make wrong things right. It is really that powerful. Remember this imagery that we got of Jesus coming back for his, his return. It's a glorious presence. Even though we, we cannot physically see, in the spiritual world, it is a glorious sight. And it has a supernatural ability to make wrong things right. It, it has a, a supernatural ability to revive things that feel dead. And so I, I urge us here today to put our trust 
and the power of his name, the power of his presence. With that being said, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And this message, I really pray what it is speaking to you is how much closer God is to you than you realize. So many of us think that God is distant and far, that he doesn't want to have anything to do with us, even though we pray to him, even though we seek him. We have this idea that he rejects us. That is a lie. That is not true. Everything in scripture points to a relational God who is knowable and who knows you. Everything that Jesus did was to bring a closeness to you and him. And so if you're here right now and maybe you've been believing that lie and you're ready to accept the simple truth of God's love for you, his power over your life, and the presence that he wants you to experience, the peace of God he wants you to experience, and you're ready to really have this, this turnaround moment in your heart and your life, and you want to put your trust in Jesus, this glorious Jesus that we talked about today. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand if that's you. Amen. I want you to just, if you rose your hand, I want you to just have your own conversation with Jesus. Have your own conversation with him. I keep telling you that he is a relational God who knows you. You do not need a pastor or anybody else to lead you in a conversation with him. You're able to speak from your heart, be authentic about it, and just talk to him yourself. Even if you feel like you don't know how to say it the right way, God knows. He knows your heart. He knows what you're trying to say. And you can talk to him yourself. Have a moment with him right now. Now, if you're here and you feel like today you realize that there's this amazing presence and power that you have been not accessing in your life. This just amazing Jesus that you have not been actively knowing in your life. And you just want to make a pursuit of him today. A pursuit of wanting to know that more in your life. Not just in this moment, but perpetually from this moment forward. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So God, right now I pray for these people and I pray for the presence of God to fall on every seat, on every person, and that your presence would rest on their shoulders. Lord, I, I just feel like there's a lot of burdens people are holding right now on their shoulders. Burdens that are heavy, that they've been carrying, and it's a weight that has been overwhelming in their lives. And I feel like your Holy Spirit is just trying to tell these people that you see what they're carrying. God is trying to tell you that he sees what you've been holding on to. He sees what you've been carrying. He sees what you've been dealing with. He sees you. And you've even been questioning yourself, why is this happening to me? God, right now I pray that 
you help them to drop those burdens at the cross and to lift up your burden, which is light, which is easy. Because you're gentle at heart. You're a humble spirit. And I pray that you give them the peace of God right now in this moment. I pray for the peace of God in their lives. I cancel all anxiety in the name of Jesus. I speak to all overwhelming stress to silence right now in the name of Jesus. I speak for the peace of God to come over you, to touch you from your head down your shoulders and pour all the way down to your toes. I pray for the Spirit of God to empower your life right now in this moment and that the Holy Spirit to manifest itself in your situation, in your emotions, in your heart, in your relationships. I pray for the Spirit of God to turn things around, to revitalize, reconcile, to make the wrong things right. Holy Spirit, do a greater work than what we can expect. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, we're going to enter into a time of worship. But before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you so much. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.